This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. Africa is a burning passion in me and, and has been from the very first time I got off the plane in Harare and it was almost this instant kind of love affair. Um, and I literally did say then and there, I came back, told my partner Linda at the time, I said, look, you know, at some point in my life, you know, I'm going to live there. You can come too if you want, you know, but, but it, it had that deep an impact on me. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. My guest today was born in Perth, Western Australia. He's the son of a news presenter who worked for the ABC television in Perth. Badly, he's a Fremantle Doctors fan, Dockers fan in the AFL. And he's most well known. They need for, doctors. <laughs> they do need doctors. And he's uh, most well known for his time on Weekend Sunrise on the Channel 7 network as a sports reporter. In 1999, he moved to Botswana with his family. While there, he established a productions company and he co-produced a television series that broadcast internationally on Animal Planet. Returning to Australia in 2001, he's been the host and he's been the host and been a regular on a number of shows such as Sunrise, Quizmaster, It's Academic, Beyond 2000. The Telethon, Newsworld, and he even took over the hosting gig of our now Gold Logie winning Grand Denya of the Million Dollar Minute. But my favourite show he's taken part in is a singing show. I know it's sad, but it's true. It takes two pairs celebrities with professional singers who each week compete against each other in a sing-off to impress a panel of judges and ultimately the viewing public in order to survive potential elimination. My guest, who has partnered with the very talented Paulini at the time, Lasted six rounds and was eliminated during the ballad round after trying to sing, I'll say that nicely, a Little River Band song, coming a credible sixth place in total. <laughs> Today we get to hear the real story about this amazing bloke and his story of becoming an awesome human. Simon Reeve, welcome. G'day, Brett. It's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming Thanks along. for those memories as well. I, yes, I thought mate. I'd gotten past it, take two. <laughs> so what, what was it about? We just mentioned before when we were off air, 12 years ago. Yeah, 2006, that series popped up um, when lots of people used to watch free-to-air TV. Yeah. Uh, it was a Sunday night show from memory, um, though my memory is possibly a little foggy <laughs> because of some of my appalling performances. But it was a, a it was an absolute blast. Why did you I mean, do it? Um, well, well I, I guess I have always loved, I've always loved music. Yeah. Um, and... From a musical family, not as in being able to play, but my father worked, as you mentioned, for the ABC for nearly 40 years. Oh, wow. And um, most of that time in radio, actually, and was always bringing home music for his next show. Like he did a a country show for many years. He did a big band show, jazz and what have you. So our household was always filled with music. So my sister was a very good singer, is a very good singer, um, I thought I could sing a little bit and um, had done so drunkenly, you know, at various course. Um, parties and what have you in various offices over the years. And somebody said, oh, you should have a crack at this show. Um, would you be interested? I said, yeah, sure. Why not? So next minute, uh, there you are standing, you know, <laughs> in uh, fear of your life before the cameras. On live television. And on live television nice. with nowhere to turn and nowhere to go back. Uh, but it was a blast. And, yes, we did last for six rounds and, 
and I think what was the word you used? You know, it, it was a creditable, a creditable, creditable six, six. Yeah. Yes. When we we'll talk about sport later, and credible six normally don't get a no, you yeah, don't but, get a mention. But you're I'm not remembered you. unless these days actually people get eighth place ribbons and stuff like. that. I'm <laughs> yes. not a believer in that, but that's that's fine. That's we another won't go story, there. mate. What we want to do is everyone knows you as the bloke on the telly, does the sports report on the weekend, sunrise, and those sort of stuff. What I want to do is get to know who you really are. So I want to go way, way back if we can. What's your first ever memory? I think my – I wouldn't be able to sort of put a, you know, was I four, was I five yep. back then, but it was definitely as a very young child and it would have been around Christmas, I think, and probably the Christmas tree, maybe putting up the Christmas tree. That I've got a very sort of vivid recall of the layout of the house and this would have been, you know, in the mid-60s, so you yeah. can imagine the kind of furniture – that I'm staring at right now. Worth a fortune now. Uh, probably, exactly. <laughs> um, and probably smoke filling the house as yeah. well. Mum and Dad both did smoke back then. Um, and just good, wonderful, warm kind of memories, Brett, yeah. where uh, we had a very social household. So our house had people through it at all times of day, neighbours, uh, neighbours' kids, um, friends, family as well dropping in my my mother came from a very large uh, extended family um and so the house was always filled with lots of good vibes yep. um and i know now how lucky i was to have that as part of my life so and christmas was a big deal in our household too so i i do have a, a strong recall of being a very young kid um and feeling good about the world and and, and the all smell the, of that was it a fake tree or a real smoke tree? Probably the smoke, <laughs> might yeah. have over might have overtaken over, the, no definitely it was a fake tree yes yeah, in some sort of tree. yeah something that was highly <laughs> inflammable and probably wouldn't be available these days exactly not around smokers as well <laughs> yes so you were born in Western Australia in Perth yep grew up um uh not far from Fremantle okay uh, hence the Fremantle Dockers yep. uh, connection as well um uh, one sister. Uh, a younger sister, a couple of years younger than than I. Gemma and I are still very close to this day. Is she here or is she in Perth? Uh, she's in Perth. Uh, okay. My parents both still alive. Yeah. Um, somehow they're hanging in there, uh, <laughs> and we're very close as well. Um, I think my father was a, a, you know, a big influence on me in terms of my career. He didn't know it, and I didn't know it at the time. But I used to go with him and love going to the ABC studios. He yeah. would he would um, read the seven pm news. Uh, he'd do a, uh, a sports program, funnily enough, on, on the weekends as well called Sports View. And I like nothing better than to tag along and just be a part of it. Like this, the setting we're in right now with microphones, um, people sort of cueing you in, yeah. um, all of that. And I guess it sort of, it dripped down into my DNA over many years. And so it was not a fait accompli that I would end up in the industry, but I was definitely attracted to it. And as soon as I left, it's what you knew. Well, it's what I knew, yeah. and and what I certainly what I did love. And when I left high school, I was lucky enough to land a job um, straight out of high school. I deferred university, uh, funnily enough, in sport with Channel Seven in Perth. So oh, there you go. So um, next February, uh, I will be basically commemorating forty years in television. So isn't that amazing? Yeah, it goes. But you uh, never thought that would happen. Bet I never <laughs> thought that would happen for sure. So when you went to school, you you went to school locally in Fremantle. Yeah, it, it was uh, not far from Frio, a suburb called Melville. Okay, and um, uh, state school. You know, Melville Junior Primary School back then because there were so many kids. This is the 
this is the kind of height of the baby boom, you know, yeah. in the early 60s when there were kids everywhere. Um, and now, you know, we, we live in a sort of a largely ageing society. We do, yeah. So there was a junior primary school, then a primary school, and uh, went to Melville uh, Senior High School as well. And was school good, bad, ugly? Were you a nerd? Were you a jock? How did you fit in? I, I definitely think I was, you know, a nerd who sometimes thought he was cool um, but <laughs> was misguided in that respect. Um, I, I think school was, was generally good. Um, I guess I struggled in some areas, you know, I, I suppose I struggled, um, uh, with anxiousness as a child yeah. as well. And so, um, that did impact, I think my, my kind of school days and memories of my school days too. But, but generally speaking, you know, it was a white bread existence, um, very happy home and loving home as well. Um, and when I've, I, I think what I do recall definitely of high school is that, when I went to high school, um, we had grown up in little white bread Melville um, and across the highway, which was Leach Highway, was Willoughby, which was a lower socioeconomic uh, back okay. then yeah, yeah. Um, suburban area. And so a lot of kids came to Melville High School from, from the Willoughby. The other side of the tracks. Yeah, literally yep. from the other side of the tracks, from the other side of the highway. Right, yeah. So it was an exposure to me to kids who hadn't had the kind of stable loving families um, that I knew, but uh, that were all around me. And, and that was a really, I realize now it was a really good lesson to me, you know, um, because a lot of those kids became close friends of mine. Yeah. Um, and for a while, some of the teachers were, were worried that I was running with the, the wrong pack and the wrong crew. It's going to go that way. Yes, we're going to lose him. We're going to lose him. Um, but I, I realized how much of um, an education that was to me as well and how important it was for, for me to, to have the exposure to those kids. And that, that sounds like the wrong word. No, it's not. But they though. became it's, good mates. Exactly. And, and, and what I loved was when they came into our household and in particular with my father, who was a great man, um, and as is my mum, but, but they didn't, generally speaking, have strong uh, male role models in their lives. Yeah. So those kids got a lot. And, and I, now I look back, I, I know why they used to say, can we come to your come house? To your place. Yeah, exactly. Because my father was there and, yeah. and it was a chance for them to kind of interact with um, a strong male role model. And, and that he, was a rare thing. He wouldn't have treated them differently. That would Not have been in any way, shape or form. Yeah, you know, he was amazing. just his, his lovely self with yep. them. Um, and so it took me quite a few years to work out why those years were important to me and why that particular aspect of my kind of teen years was important, but I now realise it. And do you think that's moulded you? Because you're a father yourself. Yes. Do you think that's moulded you in the way that you deal with your kids and your kids' friends and stuff like that? Do you oh, take a big piece of that? Most definitely. I mean, you know, I it's not to say that, you know, every great dad, you know, raises great kids and what yeah. have you. And, and I'm not just putting myself in that uh, category. I'm talking about my own father as being a great dad. Um, but it definitely informed my life. You know, my parents um, both taught me, you know, tolerance. Um, like I say, that open household that we had, the door was literally always open to anybody um, and everybody. And unfortunately for my folks, it still is, you know, like, so if you knock on their door, you're going to go in, they'll give you money or they'll give you, you know, um, a cup of tea or something. Um, and that's not an invitation for listeners. To no, knock it's on not. I know it's no, not, I know but, exactly but, but no. they're, they're very, very generous people. Yeah. And so 
that generosity of spirit um, was something I think that you know my sister and I uh, picked up on definitely, and um, and and I hope that has been part of of my life as well and my life as a as a father. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you went to school. You go. You said you you put uni off. Did you go later on or deferred university? Um, with Bill my deferred? fingers crossed that I was going to get. <laughs> Uh, paid work, yeah, and I did, and I never looked back. And yeah. and and funnily enough, now I do often think that, gee, I wish I'd gone. And I may, I may yet one day. Um, it, we all say that. It, I, know, I know we do. And <laughs> and yes, you've caught me out already. Um, okay, I'll never go to university. Yes. I know it. But but I, I do, I do love. I I love always going back and and filming on, at university campuses because of the energy. You know, it is. There's nothing like walking onto a campus where there's twenty thousand young people at the prime of their lives, um, all eager to, to learn and interact. Um, and that's a great energy. And so I, I, I missed out, I think, a lot in that regard. And do you feel that way sometimes? Do you feel like, gee, you wonder what would have happened or, oh, or I missed that part of my life and that? Yes. No, I, I think that uh, when I talk to people who have <laughs> been to university, I tend to think, gee, I'm not quite in, the, in their league, am yeah. I? You know, like they're, they're a lot smarter, a lot sharper um, than, than me. Um, so I, I, I do think I missed out in that regard. However, when I looked at my bank account and there was, you know, $64, I think my first, <laughs> I think my first wage was $64 a week, nice. um, for doing, you know, sort of 70 hours and I would have done 120 hours happily. Course, you know, I, you loved it. I loved working and, um, and love being a part of that environment. But I was but, the same. I went to university for a day. I lasted one, the orientation day, realized I was going to party a bit too hard. I was going to play AFL. This is not for me. And, uh, I actually thought it probably is too much for me because <laughs> so, I would just do that piece and yes. I wouldn't actually study. So then I went and got a job as well. And, uh, I used to say to Never my mates, back. they did the seven years in, uh, as an architect, and uh, I sit there and go, well, that's seven years I actually earned money. Yes. <laughs> you come out broke by the seven years. Yeah, we're I had doing two right. investment properties <laughs> exactly. and, yeah. We were doing all right. So let's talk about sport because you're known as a sports reporter. Is that what? Is that how you sort uh, of – Yeah. Or are you just more a journalist? No, or what it's you true. I, I am these days. That's that's my living, you yeah. know. So um, uh, sport I have loved since I was a kid and – an uncle of mine got me into the South Fremantle uh, Football Club. My parents supported East Fremantle. And if you, if you, if people are, or anyone's listening, um, who's grown up in Perth, they would know that the, the there was the great the rivalry, rivalry yeah, between yeah. East Fremantle and South Fremantle. So I was a, a red and white guy versus a blue and white guy, like my parents were. Um, and since then, I have loved sport. Um, How old were you then? You reckon? I would have been probably five. Yeah. I think you know when it I gets went in bread early when I went it? into to my first football game and um, and just loved it. And back then, WAFL football was huge. Massive. You, know, yeah. you would you would get um, 30, 35,000 people to or thirty thousand people at least to a um, you know to a derby between uh, and we call them derbies in Perth uh, between South Fremantle and East Fremantle. Yeah. So. Um, I was surrounded by uncles who loved sport, horse racing, cricket, footy, you name it. Um, and that was, again, you know, buried into my DNA. So, so yeah, I've, I've been um, for much of my life uh, a sports reporter, yep. sports presenter, whatever, um, and then sort of wandered off into other areas. I, I did a, a medical program called Good Medicine for four years, 
where everyone uh, I would see thought I was a doctor uh, on the street <laughs> yeah. and would ask me for advice, <laughs> which I didn't dispense, by the way. Um, I worked on, obviously, Beyond 2000 for about what six years. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, was that was like late 80s, early 90s? Uh, for me, yeah, 87 is when yeah. I started. In fact, I started about a month after Amanda Keller. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amanda used to call us the, the kind of junior burgers at the, at the time. <laughs> we, we were working with these uh, legends of television like Ian Finlay, uh, Jeff Watson, Carmel Travers as well, uh, people who, who had, uh, you know, long-standing uh, and deserved reputations for being the best in the business um, and great journalists, all of them. And we kind of felt a little bit out of our depth yep. in, the, in the early years and, and for, for me probably right towards the end as well. But what a program. I mean, it was the first show in, in many ways that, that brought the world into our lounge rooms yeah. uh, in Australia um, frequently, you know, every week. Um, we had a big budget to make the show. We traveled everywhere. Uh, and you know, I thought I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof, you know, for, of course. For, so for how'd you, how'd you get those sort of roles? Cause back in like from 79 onwards, you were a sports reporter yes. and did that. Well, then... I got, um, the term might be plucked from obscurity, nice. maybe. So, um, I was made aware of, uh, there being, um, a job coming up on beyond 2000 as mm-hmm. a presenter of which I thought I would never, you know, never have a hope in hell of of uh, scoring that job. And it was after the America's Cup. So I'd done the America's Cup for the Seven Network in mm-hmm. Perth. And uh, somebody said, oh, you should put in a, a reel. So there was a story that I had done, which I guess was a fairly quirky kind of story about Western Australia being the most uh, sports-minded country, a sports-minded state in, in the, the nation. Country, yep. um, and so I sent that off thinking nothing of it. Um, and within probably a month, I got a phone call uh, from the executive producer of the program who said, look, I've got this tape in front of me. Um, would you be interested in coming across and doing a, an audition story for us? And I mean, I almost dropped the phone. I thought he was having a lend of me. Yeah. And like, you what? You know, I was 25 <laughs> years old. Uh, I certainly didn't have You're a... Still si- in Perth at the time. Still in Perth. Yep. Certainly didn't have a science background. And... Um, and so I did, um, jumped on a plane. I did what I thought was an awful audition story. <laughs> uh, and it was a very difficult topic as well. Uh, but they saw something that, uh, they liked. And within a couple of months, I was offered a job as another presenter on Beyond 2000 and then completely ill-equipped and, um, out of my That's the best way to go sometimes. Oh, it is. You know, you just sort of fly off blind and the next thing I was, you know, in Tokyo doing my first story for, for Beyond 2000 in 1987. Because I remember back then that it was like the big thing is the year 2000 is not that far away and yep. the world's going to change and everything's going to happen. Or, There's blow, robots or blow up as Y2K sort of yeah. came around, yeah. And one of the things was there's going to be robots that do this and robots that do that. And then, and you guys actually went out there and found the robots and well, found all these things that could potentially happen. It yeah, was pretty that's amazing right. I stuff. mean, in, in, in 1990 or 91, um, you know, I did a story on driverless cars with, yeah. with VW. Uh, it's, that's 27 years ago now, you know, which is remarkable. And, and, and we still haven't sort of got to that point yet. Um, Why the, is that, do you think? The technology is obviously, look, I, I think part of it is just how difficult, you know, we, yep. we, we, we understand. So, but you are right. There was a sort of a naive belief that, that this, this 2000 barrier, the year 2000, beyond that, there was, Millennium. Go, it was going to be the Jetsons type of existence well, yeah. where, where Rosie would clean the house, Rosie the robot, um, you know, George would jet off to 
space lease sprockets or whatever yes, it was, and, and fly back in his flying saucer and land. Um, uh, and and well, these days certainly, Mum would fly off in the the flying yeah, saucer as well to work <laughs> exactly, as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you know, I think that it it, it kind of didn't happen, did it? Um, and and here we are still wrestling with the the kind of the ethics and the moral kind of side of a lot of this technology as well. Um, we have this sort of you in a, in a way it's funny because here we are, and I, I know I mentioned this in our chat beforehand, doing something that. Uh, was the main medium for communication in Australia. Being radio. Being radio for decades before Mm. television came along. Um, And there's a kind of an intimacy and it reminds us, I think, the nostalgia for me of of growing up listening to radio at my grandmother's house in Bridgetown in the southwest of Western Australia and listening to these old ABC series like Blue Hills and stuff. but some of our the listeners here would would, <laughs> would remember. I, I, I saw a blank look on your face then. Yeah, so Blue Hills. Blue Hills. What was Blue Hills? Look it up after this. Oh, well, it, 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 a radio it was show. a serial show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, a, a, a drama, um, yep. which was beautiful. It had this very haunting theme song. Okay. And and the, and the mem- we were talking about memories before. The memories of of that for me as a kid are really clear and strong. Of of a. Um, a uh, wood smoke fire, uh, of, of a wood smoke stove, I should say. Um, just beautiful memories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and here we are doing something in 2018 that that kind of brings back this kind of intimate medium. Yeah, with, with podcasts, which yeah. have become, and I think in a lot of ways we podcasts kind of reflect that a little bit, you know, that sort of craving for for that the intimacy of of the of this medium i think it's all about storytelling now as well it, it, that, that's and, very and, true and that's that's what radio used to be about I then went to music and then a few shock jocks and all that sort of stuff and then this takes us back to the storytelling days I think it's where, a very good point where we can actually look at what tv was brought in for was to tell those stories but nothing is good ever as good as way back in the old day when you used to have the sound effects and all that sort of stuff on those radio shows exactly and and i mean with our attention span it, it is a sort of um uh a, a strange situation that we have now where, you know, we, we've been trained to sort of look at, you know, if a video is more than 45 seconds on Facebook, yeah. we'll flick past it, you exactly. know. But but now we have this strange attraction to people talking at length about their lives or about the, the topic of the day. Um, and there is this massive audience uh, for it. So it's, it's good, isn't it? It's funny because you say about video. So video went from being sort of 30 minutes to an hour to two hours, then it went back to an hour, back to 30 minutes, back to 45 seconds. Then it was a six seconds about three years ago. Yes, with Vine. Now yeah. it's gone back to 12 seconds and it went back to a minute <laughs> yeah. and a half. So this stuff's sort of always changing as, as we get to view stuff. And, that's right. But voice has always stayed the same. That, that's that's very true. It, it, you can always go back to it as well with podcasts. You yes. can listen to a second half, or you can do whatever. Exactly. So. You're not you're not constrained to watch it. You know, as um, as we are with uh, you know television or whatever at certain times. It's like Audible. I, I listen to a lot of books when I drive and do all that sort of stuff. And it, I've just written a book myself, actually, and it, yep. it's due for release shortly. And the final editor, they said, "Can you please reread it from start to finish?" I've gone, "There's no chance. It's 300 pages. I don't have time." She goes, "Well, I'll read it, and you listen to it." And it was like, so I've done all my edits. <laughs> Via voice. And I'm sitting there going, this is amazing. The irony of that. When you can, exactly. The irony of hearing a book back so you can actually edit it. It's, How uh, funny. Yeah, oh, well, it's I'll, I'll be a, an avid reader. Oh, of thank it. you very much. Much appreciated. So moving through the years, you've been, like, you've had the pleasure of seeing some amazing sporting events. And is there one that is going, yeah, that's the best sporting event that um, 
that I've been to, seen, or, or reported on? I, I was lucky uh, to actually be on a Beyond 2000 trip and have a weekend off in London in 1991 um, when, uh, lo and behold, our cameraman was a good friend of uh, – our cameraman, Danny, uh, who remains a good friend, was a, a, an old mate of David Knox who used to play for the Wallabies, yep. um, uh, a New South Wales boy, Randwick boy, uh, and – Noxie got us some tickets to the World Cup final. So that was oh, Australia wow. and England at Twickenham yep. in 91, a game which we won 12-6 from memory. Yes. Um, so that has to be one of the, the standout memories. And I think also going to the um, Athens Olympics as a, as a commentator mm-hmm. on equestrian and, um, and gymnastics as well, those are the moments when you're behind a microphone, when you are actually physically pinching yourself going, I can't believe here that I'm that – I'm, at the Olympics. Sitting here, yeah, <laughs> next to this wonderful commentator, Liz Chetkovich, in the case of gymnastics and in Athens, Lucinda Green for equestrian going, oh, my God, you know, if did my you know dad much could see me that? now. Did you know much about equestrian or gymnastics? Um, or do you wing it? Well, I'm glad it was sort of pre-social media because I would have been <laughs> hammered, I'm sure, you know, for my pronunciations, for my terminology, misuse yep. or whatever. But, look, I- enough to, to kind of – to get by. And, and did you and, know that before or did you learn that before you went? Well, I, I guess I, I I knew a bit more about equestrian than – well, okay, let's let's be <laughs> honest here. I knew a lot more about equestrian than I did about gymnastics. Yeah. But one studies and one reads up and one does learn. one's research uh, and hopefully then one doesn't make too many mis- mistakes. <laughs> so I got invited back for 2008 for um, gymnastics for uh, Beijing as well, so – so what was the uh, – out of those Olympics you've been to, which is the best all-round Olympics that you've seen? Because did you get to enjoy part of you, the you, you moment You definitely well? did. Where the media village was set up in Athens was right near um, uh, a small I – w- I would kind of describe it as suburban Athens uh, plaza. It was delightful. So we'd finish the day, we'd all walk down – uh, whoever was kind of you know whoever's day was finished yeah. would walk down to the um, the local eateries. We'd sit out in the middle of the plaza uh, you know, on a on a on a thirty five degree evening. Um, couple pop a couple of beers, you know, enjoy a bit of sort of grilled fish and salad. Oh, oh, you know nice. those those kind of memories are are very very special indeed. So and Beijing was was wonderful in in different ways. Going to the old hutongs and stuff and yep. um, and seeking out little food haunts and all the rest of it, jumping on a train. So, yeah, that, that that's the upside of, of the Olympics. Um, so when, like, for instance, Channel 7 got the Olympics and, and they sit there and go, okay, so we've got, we need 37 commentators, whatever the number is. And then they go, okay, well, Simon and, the, and we, we got these. Simon did gymnastics last time. We'll, so we'll slot him in there. Is that the way it works? Or kind of, you know. Because it, it's a big piece of work for yes, Channel 7. Yes, it is. You know, b- budgets being what they are, Olympic coverage has changed uh, quite dramatically sort yeah. of over the years. Um, and, you know, we don't have the the massive budgets that we used to uh, when Seven covered the Olympics, say, in the, the 1990s. Um, that's when, you know, free-to-air was was king. At its peak. Um, and now we're, you know, we're in a very competitive marketplace. So the budgets aren't what they used to be. Used to be but they do what they can. So this is me putting my hand up, Brett, for 2020 Tokyo. <laughs> we've, we've still got them, so... Come on, oh, that's guys. Good. Well, if they need a spare, I'm more than happy <laughs> yeah, to come you, along. You've got okay. <laughs> Throw my name in I'll the I'll give room. you a very good recommendation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, the Logies. Logies were on the other night. Did yes. you Did you go? Have I, you been? I didn't. No, I have been in the past many times. I didn't get a, a 
a gig this time. Okay. Um, and I, don't, I don't have a, a prime time show or anything at the moment. But, oh, that's fair. Cool. Uh, there you go. But um, so yeah, look, it was it was and it was lovely for for Grant to to get a, a gold as well. Um, and uh, I, I he's think worked hard. He's gone through a lot. Exactly over His the years. Speech. Wow. Yeah, he knocked him knocked him oh, was dead, amazing. Didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So no, I love the little jobs at Channel Ten he had as well. That was that was that yes. was clever. Yeah. No. Without, without too hard, that was really clever. Exactly. He's a clever yeah. young man. Yeah. He is. No, he's young. Yeah. I suppose he's still Youngish. young. He's, yeah. he's small. Yeah. Small in stature, but now our gold Logie winner, which is which Indeed. is amazing, puts yeah. him in some of the realm. Yeah, really, some, doesn't it? Some uh, heady company. Yep. Um. Australian basketball. I, I'm a big fan of Australian basketball. I'm sure you would have seen the uh, the basket brawl, as in happened a couple of days I'm ago. I'm still kind of trying to process it. I think yeah. that that, uh, that that something that vicious. Um, it, it you know you're accustomed to a, a little bit of argy bargy yeah, on of a course. basket. These are big guys, you know, um, and so you know a push or a shove, it, it's going to hurt. You know, when there's a, a six foot nine guy behind it. But what happened so quickly and how it erupted so quickly? And, um, I mean, they will be analysing this for a long time to yeah, come sure. and, and working out uh, what the penalties should be and where it started and who was to blame and who jumped in and who shouldn't have. But I think all of us who saw some of those scenes of the of you know, Chris Goulding being on the ground. Being, yeah, eight of them on top of him. Being beaten, um, beaten up and Luke Longley sort of stepping in to kind yeah. of save him and, it doesn't reflect well on any of us, does it? And and look, okay, th- this might be a long bow, but but maybe in some ways it 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 is reflective of the the kind of the, the we're we're all very quick to jump to judgment to rush in these days, yeah. Be it on social media or wor- wherever, or with road rage, um, with our behaviour, um, we tend to kind of flare up really quickly and to hell with the consequences. We'll worry about that later. But I think that. Um, for young people in particular watching that, for, for young kids who, you know, girls and boys who want to play basketball and are playing it, you know, f- with a view to maybe a, a career level, one yeah. day, that's really, really sad to see their, their heroes because, you know, those guys are, a lot of those guys are big names in, in the U.S. now as well in the NBA. And so they're, the NBA are assessing what, what happened too. Of course. I, I think the fallout from that, uh, is the ramifications will last for a long time. It was really, really tragic. Yeah, it was. It was interesting to see a lot of that social media because obviously it flared up straight away and everyone's saying, what's happened? And then they all pointed back to the day before where they'd taken the decals off the floor and there was a whole pile of other stuff that happened. But then there was one bloke, which is Matthew Delavadova, who actually had, was calming the situation down. Like you could see that... He was the one sort of stopping it all, making sure everyone was okay, doing mm. all that sort of stuff, which is what an NBA player, as he says, yeah, with his should experience. actually do. Yep. Whereas Thorn Maker, the um, the younger guy, um, that he's what seven foot two, mm. so you don't want to be that coming him coming at you anyway. No. But he uh, he come out, yeah, I think it was yesterday on social media and said that it's not the way an NBA player should act. This is the way it should be. Blah blah blah. Which is all good, and it comes back to your point of kids are watching this. Um, yeah. I had a friend that was at the game and he had his 14-year-old son with him mm. and he'd put on, on social media, yet we're safe, we're fine, we're just waiting for a police escort out. We're at a yeah. basketball That's game. That's a basketball game, yeah, where you, you know, you're, <laughs> you're having a great night out with wow. your, your son. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how wrong is that? Like you yeah. look at football gets out of hand sometimes and all that sort of stuff, but this is basketball. It, this is a completely different sport. That's that that right. sort of stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, it, it, I think that was the shock of it really. Yeah. That, uh, that when I woke up, 
to sort of, as you do, you look at your little news feed or whatever Indeed. on your, your smartphone or your iPad. And uh, I was devastated, I think, to see those kinds of pictures. And, and then uh, social media being what it is, you know, they're everywhere within a very short time and people are sharing it. And uh, yeah, it, it was. So social media, good. let's go there. What is it good? Is it bad? Do you think it's a, uh, an opportunity? What do you think of social media? I think it's everything, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, and we're still trying to, especially old guys like me, you know, at 56 <laughs> are still trying to work it out and what role we have, where I fit into this yeah, as course. well. Because, you know, my my kids sort of said, oh, look, you know, because of your job, you know, you should be on social media. This was a couple of years ago. And uh, I was like, really? You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of reticent to step into that yeah. space. And I have, you know, colleagues and friends who, who just won't. And I can certainly understand it if they don't, you know, I'm not on Twitter. Um, I think Twitter can be potentially a bit of a Donald Trump runs the world from Twitter. Yes, that's it. (laughs) That's right. Um, So I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. um, Mm -hmm. And I try and regulate as much as I can, I guess, you know, what I say and the content that I put up and um, and I think you have to be very careful. You have to have a, a big filter when it comes to social media, not to do what the, what happened on the basketball, not yep. to blow up straight away, you know, to actually hold your fire, think about it, uh, maybe draft something as you, as you might do, <laughs> you know, an email to your, to your boss and then not send it. Um, uh, don't react instantly. That's maybe the first rule of social media. Um, and I think then it's a case of finding the things that you like and the people that you like to follow and maybe the messages that, you know, you think are important for, for this world and this day and age. Um, and that's so I kind of cultivate, it's like a garden, I suppose, is, you know, yeah. you, you water it. Um, some plants need more water than others and, and, you know, you prune it here and there. Um, and I, I don't try, I try not to overpost. I think there are overposters many, many of them, out, yeah. out there as well. Um, and I try to, I, I guess I do try to, the, the things that I'm, I'm passionate about, I try and make that the focus of my own social media. And do you think um, that'll help your career? I know it can hinder careers if you do it wrong. Yeah, if you do, do it wrong. do you think that's something that will help boost your career, won't have an effect? I suppose because... I mean, I've had nearly 40 years in, in free-to-air television, mm-hmm. um, and so I've been extraordinarily lucky to have enjoyed the very best of, of the industry. Um, so to some extent, uh, what we're doing now might prolong some of our careers. Okay. Um, if, we, if we kind of move into this space and we're clever about it, I'm not that clever. Um, but so I, I do think it is... Uh, it is important if you want to, and, and I would like to potentially do podcasts of my own, you know, in, in time to come, because there are things that I'm, I'm passionate about. Uh, so I think they are the, the good uses for social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the, on the, on the flip side, you know, influences like worry me a little bit uh, <laughs> when, when, when they are just purely commercial yes. or, for young boys and young girls to sort of uh, latch on to um, people who are pushing ideas, products, um, body shapes, whatever, diet. Um, I think that that I'm not entirely qualified to, to pass judgment on of these course. things, but, but it does very much concern me. Now, so 
Uh, we've sort of nursed our kids through the teen years. We're still nursing our son through that time um, uh, with, uh, you know, I guess kid gloves to some yeah. extent um, and with hopefully passing on a little bit of wisdom to sort of say, yeah, you know, maybe that's an area to avoid or, and, and this is the very difficult thing of parenting in, in, in 2018, 2019. Big difference to when your dad was doing it. For sure, is to, <laughs> is to know where the line is, you know, when, when to step over um, and say no um, and when to sort of step back and, and let uh, your son or daughter kind of work things out themselves. I think that so, is the hardest thing though of parenting, like this whole fortnight thing at the moment, which is yeah. the, the game. And like we say, no, sorry, that's not going to happen mm. because of this, this, this and this. And But they're at school and all their mates, that's all they talk about and all this sort of stuff. They're nine and ten years old. That's it's right. It's like I don't want to be shooting people at nine and ten and, years old. And generally speaking, kids are going to find a way of course somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, look, there do, there do have to be rules. Yes. Um, uh, we don't always necessarily enforce them as we should perhaps <laughs> or follow them <laughs> but but uh yeah i mean raising kids who are uh well-rounded um who can make uh, good decisions and uh, who can bring their own judgment to bear that's what we all want to do as parents kindness. isn't it as and, as and kindness kind, as well that's um, all that matters. so like navigating your way through social media i think as a parent uh, and as an individual um, is extremely difficult, you know, because there are some dark and you yes. know, genuinely evil kind of paths out there. Yeah, it's interesting because social media is here now. It's here to stay. It's not going to no go anywhere, no matter what people say. I think kids should be educated in it personally and, and they should know the facts of if you put that up there, you potentially won't get a job in the future. If you do this, exactly. then this will happen. So the ramifications of some of the things that they actually do will affect their lives. No and, doubt about it. But they don't get taught that. They don't understand that. That If they send that nude picture to that kid that this will happen, that this will happen, that bully will happen. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I think there needs to be a lot more education in that space. Yeah, and I, I think schools are catching up to that, you know, as well and and uh, and pretty quickly. I mean, I go back to um, a show that I did for nine years called It's Academic, um, mm-hmm. uh, which was for 11-year-old kids. And now – when we started the program in 2005, you know, it, you know, social media, I guess, was just starting just to, off, yep. to be a thing back then. Um, but what I loved about that program is that 11-year-old kids, you know, you, you, you've got them before they become, you know, jaded 13-year-olds <laughs> um, and the world is still full of possibilities yes. and wonder and stuff and they would love coming into the television studio and the lights and the you know, the, 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 the makeup and all the rest of it, you know, it was just such a joy to kind of, uh, for, for myself and for all the people who worked on that program to actually feed off that great energy of those kids. Um, and so I, I kind of have this, I had this great fortune to work on that show because it, it taught me a lot as well about sort of the way to still, to still look at the world, I think, and, and to, and to not be too cynical. Um, because the 11-year-olds have all that stuff. You know, the world still is full of wonder and all sorts of possibilities. And and as I – and has become a bit of a mantra for me, I suppose, since then and and the ideas that I'm interested in, in spreading, um, you know, kids don't see uh, religion. They don't see colour. Exactly. They just see other kids, you know. So if you're in the playground and, um, you know, you have uh, a lunch that is – 
you know, from the subcontinent or whatever, exactly. they're just going to ask you, well, what, what's that? You know, yeah. tell me about that stuff. Like that, that we, we can learn a lot, I think, from sort of 11-year-olds. How have I jumped here from social media? I'm not, no, I'm not it's, quite it's sure. It's 11-year-old thing. I agree. I've got but, one. But, well, there you go. And, <laughs> I've and, got a 9, 11, a 13, a 14 and 15-year-old. Well, I, I kind of – well, yeah, that's right. So you're in the middle of this right yeah, now, exactly. you know, and, and you sort of see what happens, you know, as they do – like that exposure to social media and um and, and the 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 nastiness of the, the potential nastiness of the world That's kind so of true. creeps into them at 12 and 13 and stuff and and that kind of naivety of, of the 11 year old that, that great. gorgeous <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> that 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 wonder that they have if you could just capture that and oh my stay gosh with that. <laughs> that that is exactly right well that that's that's something I think you know we as adults can kind of learn from. Now I'm getting up on my high horse, no, which, which I tend I love to do. It. I so. love it. That's fine. Um, in 1999, you went to Botswana. Yes. What did you go to Botswana? Well, of all the places in the world, hang on, let's go to Botswana. Well, um, Africa is a, a burning passion in me, and mm-hmm. and has been from the very first time that I stepped off uh, on a Beyond 2000 shoot in Harare back in 1990 to mm-hmm. do some stories there, some wonderful science stories. Uh, that's when Qantas used to fly to Harare. Can yeah. you believe it? Not once a week, as well as a couple wow. of weeks, uh, a couple of times a week to Johannesburg. Um, and Zim was a wonderful. It's still a wonderful country in many ways, but uh, it was an incredible place. Uh, and I got off the plane in Harare, and it was almost this instant kind of love affair. Um, and I literally did say then and there. Uh, came back told my partner, Linda, at the time, I said, look, you know, at some point in my life, you know, I'm going to live there. You can come too if you want, you know, but, but it, it had that deep an impact on me. And so um, I got to travel on a program called Wildlife and go back many times to, to Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana, South Africa, Namibia, and Zim as well. And, um, and made some good contacts over the, through the nineties and then uh, to my, you know, uh, absolutely love the fact that a guy who I know said, yes, I, I like your idea for setting up a production company. Um, come and join us. This was with a company called Quando Safaris. Okay. He said we can attach this safari company to our, uh, this, this production company to our safari operation and you can go off and do what you want to do and sort of, wow. you know, in, you know, in inverted commas, make, make TV shows and stuff. So, so we did. So I was very fortunate to have, um, my dear partner, Linda, who's, uh, uh, the mother of our gorgeous kids, you know, be brave enough to sort of take it on. Cause we had a toddler at the time. So, so, so the kids went with you? We had a, um, a 20 month old toddler. Uh, wow. Stella was obviously a big part of our lives. <laughs> Sam was yet to come, but, um, so yeah. So we popped her into the, you know, 73B or whatever on the, on the Qantas <laughs> flight into Johannesburg and, uh, and off we went and, uh, and had a couple of years of fantastic adventure, with, you know, highs, lows, tears, laughter, everything. But, um, what yeah, a life-changing experience. And it, it was. And, um, you know, it, it, that also sort of taught us a lot about, about life and, um, and, uh, how simply people live and how lucky we are back in Australia with, yeah, exactly. with all that we have. So, yeah, so um, Linda fell pregnant with with Sam um, when we were in Africa. We had picked out this little uh, clinic in Namibia at the time. Yeah. This romantic dream of having our 
our second born um, in Africa. Uh, a few months out from the big day, we kind of thought, mm, Not you know, best idea. <laughs> maybe we should head back. So we did. Um, we headed back to Perth to be around family. And sure enough, our son was born with a chronic heart condition. And oh, so wow. we were very fortunate to be, make you know, make, and, and make the most of the medical facilities that yeah, are definitely. available in this country. So, but having said all that, um, Africa still burns deep inside go back? inside my soul as often as my family will kind of let me. <laughs> we've, we've, we've taken them back as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I have a, a deep and abiding love for Africa. Amazing. It's an amazing place. I've been to South Africa. I've yep. had the chance to uh, to do Zim or anything like that, but they were saying that Zimbabwe is actually one of the most beautiful places on Absolutely, the planet. Absolutely, yeah. Manapools, uh, remember that name. If you, if, if you can ever get okay. to um, to the lower Zambezi, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's as close to the heaven spot. on earth. Yeah. Awesome. So what's your greatest ever achievement in life? Ooh. Um, look, You've done a lot. I think, well, I think Really, you know what it it becomes pretty. It, it becomes a, f- a fairly easy question to answer. I think when you you know when you are fifty six and you have two kids and 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 that is to just still be still be standing. You yeah. know to still be surviving. I guess in in this industry, but really, um, I think to have a very lovely, wonderful family around you um, because. You see amongst friends and stuff, you, you lose friends, you know, by the time you, you hit your, your kind of late 50s and you lose friends to horrible diseases. Yeah. Um, uh, you watch other friends, you know, lose jobs and things like that and things that impact families in an enormous way. So I think that I would, you know, I'm never going to sit here and say, oh, well, well, we've got, you know, six houses, we've got, you know, um, holidays in in the Riviera (laughs) and all the rest of it. But really, you know, at the end of the day, all you want is is your kids to be in a a stable kind of loving home uh, with, you know, where they feel secure at the end of the day or they feel like they can retreat back to and, you know, the your par- the parents might be a pain in the ass and stuff, but you know dinner's on the table at exactly. <laughs> at six thirty or whatever, and you know I know that somebody will take me to baseball practice tomorrow. <laughs> um, generally speaking, so I think, and part of that uh, for me has been the move to the Gold Coast. I think for for our family, which we how did, long have you been here now? Which we did about uh, eight years ago. So okay. um, part of moving up here was actually to simplify our lives. Um, that's Sydney, why we all move here. Yes, I, yeah. I think that's right. And, and and unfortunately, you know, we've still got even close friends of ours, you know, who, who still wonder why we ever did it, I think. But <laughs> we're sort of on the other side of that, you know, not laughing, but but going hallelujah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, wake up in the hinterland every morning to bird song and what have you. And um, yeah, the stresses of Sydney had really started to sort of to to get to us and to break us down as a family, and we we had to react to that stress. Um, and if we hadn't have done, I think you know things might have turned out differently. Yeah. Um, so we did, and we made a move, and we made a decision. Uh, Linda and I, and the kids as well, were in on that, and um, and here we are, sort of eight years later, very glad that we came up to the Gold Coast hinterland. One of the best decisions you've ever made. Most definitely. Yeah, we yeah. moved back here from London. We went to London for 10 years, and instead of going back to Sydney, we decided, no, let's go back to the Gold Coast. And I think after you actually unwind, it took us about a year to unwind, yeah. you then start to appreciate it, and you start to appreciate the the 
it's a lot slower. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the quality of life. I mean, you know, slow is one word, but um, I, I think that's a word that's undervalued. You yes. know, like uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a, a really good word um, because uh, running doesn't necessarily bring success, you know, like, and, and, and that's what we, we were all running. Like in Sydney, we were like running from – the start of the day to the end of the day yeah. and you're running into bed almost, you know, so that you can get up and run the next day as well. Here you can walk and, you know, you can smell the roses and, and smell the air and, um, and, you know, we've got a couple of horses and stuff. I like nothing more than walking around the, the, the small paddocks that we have picking up horse poo and just hanging <laughs> out with the horses, horses, horses teach you a lot. They teach you how to just be, yeah, you know, exactly. I can watch our, our old boy who's 29, you know, older than me just about. And, um, and, uh, and, and the other mate that he has in the paddock is about half his age, but they can just be staring into the, into the like pure meditation. It is really? pure meditation. And that is something that we need to kind of do a lot more as human beings. I think. What's that thing they say, sit back, relax and enjoy the ride that you can do that here as opposed to running, running, running. Definitely. You know, and, and, you know, you've got to make it work of course as yeah, of a course. family and, you know, hopefully still earn a living and all the rest of it, but you've got, uh, you got to eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can make it, if you can make that happen, then this is a good place to do it. Indeed. Um, the pe- personal people who have most influenced you, like who's been the biggest influence on your life? Yep. Probably my father. I'll, I'll yeah. come back to him um, because of uh, not just in a in a work sense, but I think you know in terms of the way to live your life. You know the 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 sorting out the priorities. Um, you know, family being obviously yeah. sort of one of them, and to have um, you know to to do some things really well. Now, I think he did some things incredibly well um, and drew enormous sort of satisfaction out of that. Um, I do more things less well than he did the things that mattered to him. Um, But I think dad would be definitely. Um, And certainly I I think, you know, my, my partner as well, Linda, definitely she's somebody who lives her life with an enormous amount of passion and vigor uh, and integrity. Um, she's been an incredible mother to our two kids and they would reluctantly Agreed <laughs> admit that, that as well. <laughs> um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, she uh, went to Kalgoorlie as a kid with her wow. mum and dad um, yeah. from Perth. Mum um, and dad bought a pub in the 1970s in Kalgoorlie. So from uh, growing up on the beach in Perth to then pulling beers as sort of a 11, 12 year old for, um, you know, for miners in the in the heat of Kalgoorlie <laughs> uh, back in the mid seventies, you learn a lot doing you that. You learn a are. lot, you know, and um, the lessons that she has learned throughout her life, you know, um, have been great uh, lessons and and for all of us in our family to sort of follow. You know, that she's uh, she's well, a ripper. I, lo- I love the way your whole demure changes when you talk about Linda because it's like you can just see the love and and just like the thankfulness i think is the word Look, I'm after. definitely and it's, it's probably it's stuff that it's great I, I don't you know i don't speak about i'm i'm yeah. you know fairly kind of uh well i mean my family would say you are you kidding fairly you know <laughs> um yeah, i don't say much you yeah. know and, and and we should as we get older and, and and you know here's a chance to say it so yeah i think you know those two would would stand out as as Excellent. as great role models for for me yeah okay so some quick fire questions for you yeah favorite food 
I would have to say uh, Chinese. Yeah, I'm a big dumplings guy. I'm I a love dumplings, dumplings with with chili. Yeah, oh, I, and it, the soy mix with the you know, chili. Yeah, oh, if I was so... standing before the firing squad and they said, "Okay, Reeve, you know you've got five minutes to wolf down," <laughs> I'd say, "Give me some, please, give me some dumplings, some, some dumplings, some prawn, prawn? probably pork." Pork and prawn, yeah. yeah. The combination. <laughs> maybe um, they wouldn't maybe give me the, the combination. But, but, but that's right. As long I, as I'd, I'd shoot for that, yeah. <laughs> Favourite song? Favourite song. Oh, man, what a hard question. But I'm going to say the song that had the most impact on me is In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning by Frank Sinatra. Oh, great song. So um, for lots of reasons, but it introduced me to Sinatra when I was about 12 years old and, yeah. and through my father again, coming back to him. But, um, yeah, I can listen to it today and, you know, however many thousands of times I've heard it, it'll still bring tears to my eyes. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Favourite place in the world? Ooh, I think the Okavango Delta in Botswana. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, if, yeah, take me. If, if I had to go out, that's it where would you be go. there. That's where the firing score is I'm gonna with play the dumplings. This, yeah, I think I'm going to play this back <laughs> in years to come and say, he just said that about <laughs> – no, I, I would say the Okavango Delta and closely followed by the Kimberley in, in Western Australia. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a stupid question, but favourite sporting team? Sporting team? Sporting team. Um, look. <laughs> I think it's a stupid question. I was expecting you to say Frio. Oh, I, well, I would – I probably would say the South Fremantle Football Club. Because, okay. Yeah, going, yeah, going past the Dockers because they've been involved with my life a lot longer and, yeah. and they were doing things in the nine, early 1970s, which was sort of pretty much groundbreaking, you know, including setting up a conduit to, uh, to the top end and bringing mm-hmm. down wonderful young indigenous players. Uh, Sebastian Rioli came to South Rio in 1972 um, uh, and, and started something that, that I, that, that hit a note in me, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and continues to this day that I have an, a real interest in, um, you know, in Indigenous history, um, and I think we can do a lot more in that we space can, in this country. Um, and so I would say South Fremantle would, would probably be the team that's had um, the most continuing kind of impact on my life. Okay. Yeah. What's next? What's next for Simon Reef? Um, that, that's a very good question. Um, we, we've sort of been kind of slightly wanderers, I suppose, in our, in our lives. Um, we wandered off to... Botswana yeah. at a time when you know other people saying kid you gotta stick to your career <laughs> you know like you're gonna do this you're gonna do that uh you could have been you could have been big you know um we came up to the gold coast maybe at a time when uh it wasn't necessarily sort of thought as the right thing to do by a lot of our our friends and maybe colleagues as well that um but i think so next i i, I don't know i i would like to uh, be uh, I would like to I suppose work in the spaces that I that I'm passionate about, yeah. um, which is the promotion of diversity in this country. Um, I think that we have, as Australians, no matter our backgrounds, I think we have a lot more in common than we we have differences. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's something that I would like to highlight in in the years to come. I think that also I think the tide is turning a little bit on in terms of our relationship with the first Australians in this yes, country too. And um, I think that's really important to me. So um, I'd like to be working in those spaces. Um, I have a project called the colors of Australia that I've been talking to people about for a long time. And I'm and what's that spending do? a long, spending a long time trying to convert that into sort of um, how do I make 
you know, make a living out of this? Yeah. How, do, how do I make it my sort of full-time work? Um, it is literally about the celebration of the diversity that we have in this country. So um, I love quiet stories. I, I think that, you know, there are a lot of noisy people and in, in, especially with social media, of as course. we were yeah, talking yeah. about before. Um, I think most Australians, um, there's 25 million of us now, yeah, um, you know, have remarkable quiet background stories that won't ne- you'll never necessarily hear about. Um, but I've started to sort of document those over the years. And, um, and I, I contacted a most wonderful gal, um, Rose Ricciani, whose family are from Syria and from Lebanon. They have a fish and chip shop um, up at Manly, basically, yeah. you know, on the on the on Morton Bay, and um, beautiful family. Uh, I contacted Rose Cold on Instagram one day and said, "Now this is going to be pretty creepy, but <laughs> you know, I'm a guy in my mid fifties, but I'm I'm reading through your feed, and I really like what I'm seeing here, um, and what I'm reading. Uh, would you be interested in me coming up and and sort of having a chat to you about?" these issues, you know, about diversity, about your own background, about your own story, about your family's story. And, um, she said, sure. And I was like, really? Wow. Well, that's cool. You know, yeah. well, I, I, you know, I applaud you for that because I probably would have said no, but who's the creepy man on the yeah, Instagram? Exactly. Who, who's the, who's the weird <laughs> stalker, but she did. And, um, you know, bless her. And then I met this, this beautiful family, you know, that have had this, uh, fish and chip shop, um, called Lotta, uh, and some people listening will have been probably to, yeah, the, yeah. to that fish and chip shop. Man, they do some good fish and chips as no, well. I'm going to have to go and check that out. You, you are. Um, so uh, what's it? You're going to tell the, their story? You're going to do it, that on, it, on voice, video? So I, I, that so I did. Um, so I, I, I shot an interview with Rose and her yeah. family and mum and dad. I'll, I'll send you the link after this. That'd be great. <laughs> um, but but so those things, you know, the, the, the idea that I think we are uh, more tolerant maybe than we're, we're kind of led to believe sometimes yes. in this country the idea to sort of push back against some of the voices that that are loud that we that we um we hear too often quiet um, stories i love it yeah uh, quiet Great stories idea. are really really important um because they're the stories that don't make the news cycle um and they're the they're the the, the stories that glue us together as communities you know they're, they're going on on the gold coast you know every day like for example, I mean a small example. The the uh, my son's played baseball for yep. a lot of the time that we've been up here. Didn't play it before we came to the Gold Coast, and we drove past the club sort of many times, not far from where we live. Said I wouldn't mind having a crack at that. So we've become involved with uh, the Madrabah Red Sox over the years, and um, you know there's a lot of Japanese families uh, as part of that play baseball. Club. Yeah, you know, this cross pollination is is fantastic. Um, Again, those kids, they don't see colour, they don't see background, they don't see, you know, where you're he's from. He's my mate, he's They my just team see player. their mates yep. and stuff. And, and it's, it's really been a lovely thing to kind of, to, to be involved with. Um, that kind of thing goes on thousands upon thousands of times, you know, every day at sporting clubs, in community organisations, uh, universities, wherever, uh, in workplaces, you know, we, we, we do that all the time without sort of almost knowing it and being aware of it. So I, I want to kind of hold that stuff up and say, you know, look, Australia, we're, we're better than sometimes we're, we're given credit for. And do you think we're changing? Do you think Australia's changed? I think that 
the the generations, the its academic generation that that's come through, you know, that I the the kids that I was um, that were in that first series back in two thousand and five, yeah. Well, they're now twenty four, you know. Um, so I think that the that um, the attitudes generally in Australia are getting better. I think we are becoming a more tolerant society, despite you know there's there's setbacks and there always will be slip ups here and there, but. The good far outweighs the bad. You yeah, know, I agree. Too often we hear too much about the negative stuff. We only hear the negative stuff. We only hear the negative mm-hmm. stuff, and that's you know partly in the media we're to to blame for that as well. Um, but I, I think that that is really important to us as a nation. Uh, and this is you know this is high highfalutin kind of stuff, but you know it it matters to me. You know, yeah, uh, and I think it, it matters to a lot of people. I, I and- hope it does. You know, and and look, I, maybe naively, I think it does as well. But um, I, I think that 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 we have enormous potential sort of stored away. You know, you think of twenty eight percent of Australians were born overseas, basically. You Amazing, know, isn't it? Fifty percent of households. You know, the 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 parents, you know, or their grandparents were were born overseas. So we've all come from somewhere to this place. Um, and, I, and we're I, here together, uh, and we're here together, and we got to make the, the the most of it. And it, it's not always it's not going to be perfect, you know. I'm not talking about some sort of utopian sort of society where you know, we're not always going to get on, and we are going to make mistakes. And and people who come here sometimes are going to make mistakes yeah. as well. But but you know, the overwhelming majority of of, of people who come to this country want to do one thing. They they want to have a a great life for their kids. You know, they are trying to secure their children's future. If they've come from, from difficult and, and often, you know, treacherous backgrounds. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're all in it together. But there's also a lot of people that are here that were here before. Like you talk about the indigenous people that, um, also want exactly the same thing. Uh, Absolutely. And, and I don't think that we've ever sort of fully acknowledged that, you know, like, uh, that these people are, you know, that this is the the oldest kind of culture on earth. Indeed, you know, um, sixty five thousand years ago, people were wandering this land, um, you know, in in the area that we're living in. You know, the the Yugambeh people around the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you go up to Springbrook and you look at those beautiful old uh, and Antarctic yeah birch trees. Yep. Um, and you think, you know, well, they've been there for, you know, maybe three, 4,000 years and stuff. Um, well, 60,000 years before that, uh, there, <laughs> there, were, were there were people. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I think that, you know, that these are, these are uh, things that I'm, I'm passionate about. So this has been a very long-winded answer to the question. No, that's but but that, that's the area. I, lo- that, I love to hear you're passionate about this stuff because there's people out there that are passionate that don't get a chance to actually speak about it. There's people out there that don't have a voice. You're someone that has a voice because of your who you are and what you do for a job. I, I guess I have a you know I have a small voice and, yep. and I, I'm still a voice. I'm also aware that you know when you do raise your voice on these, you, you can be shot down as well. And, and so I'm reticent sometimes about talking about this kind of stuff because you know I, I sort of feel like oh here comes the here comes the backlash you know like because uh, but but look I, I I hold on to the idea that um, that. You know, we we have great things that we can do as a country if if we if we just kind of lay down our differences and see what it on with what the similarities that we have. You know, that we basically want to, you know, we want to raise our kids to be good kids. Yep. We want 
food on the table at the end of the day and, and shelter as well. And maybe some of those lessons came from sort of our time in Botswana as well. And, and certainly some of those lessons for me came from when I was a kid, you know, growing up in a, in a very open household. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yep. Well, mate, thanks so much for coming in and spending some time with you. I really, really appreciate it. As it, far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human and I really appreciate your time. I've really uh, enjoyed it. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, mate. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate podcasts.